to Jonah chapter number two. Jonah chapter number two. It is a privilege to, to be here and to speak to you all the last two weeks. <coughs> Do have a long drive. We have about 1,800 miles to go to get to Houston. I'm on. So, yeah, it's on. Yeah. It's a long drive, so we do appreciate your prayers. Jonah's chapter number two. Let's start reading. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's just 10 verses of Jonah chapter number two. Verse number one says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine infliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou, hast, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own, their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this evening seeking to grow closer to you. I ask that you would, you would calm our hearts and our minds and focus us on this on these few moments as we open your word and try to see what you would have for us. I ask that you would give me the words to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we uh, jump into this chapter, let's recap from this morning. Okay, we're striving to get a better picture of, uh, of the life of Jonah and how that applies to our own lives. Okay, so this general, like, like storybook picture that we have of Jonah is that he was a, a, a coward, a rebel who ran from God, didn't want to obey him, and he gets swallowed by this whale, and, um, and God's punishing him for not obeying. This is a narrative of the prophet Jonah. God gives him a task, but he runs the opposite way. A very simple task to go and to, to preach the gospel to the people of Nineveh, and he decided to run the opposite way. But, as we noted this morning, God never gave up on him. The, it, chapter number one is just a magnificent story of the grace of God and how God pushed him to a breaking point. 
God gave him this simple task and he had a conflict with God. God brings, God brings this storm to push him to this point where he can break him and then finally use him, a point where he had to let go and he was swallowed up by that fish. We learned how that we can overcome our fears, how we can overcome our sin through God's grace. God's grace is what brings us to a point of restoration by breaking us and then consuming us. It gives us perspective on our storms, on our difficulties, on our trials. That's what God's grace does. It gives us perspective on those things. The awesome thing about our life is that we are not in this alone. We're not in it alone. God wants to shape us into a masterpiece, you could say. God wants to shape us into a masterpiece that reflects him. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. This mini-series we've entitled The Gospel According to Jonah. And tonight's message is titled Restored by Grace. Restored by Grace. A good practice to get into when you're, when you're reading the Bible, when you pick a passage to read, is to think, okay, who was the original audience? Who, who, is the, who is the original audience of this passage? Okay, The original audience of the book of Jonah would have been the Jewish people. And the, the Jews reading this would have been well acquainted with the stories of old, Okay, the stories of of, of their, their past people being in captivity, uh, being in captivity in Egypt, okay? And uh, the sin and the judgments of the, of the people of Israel wandering the wilderness and the struggles that they had had, I think would have, uh, would have, been, would have been fresh on their minds, something that was, was close to their history, close to their culture. And when they're reading this and they're looking at the distress the difficulty that Jonah is going through is what he describes in this passage would have rung really close to home for the Jewish people. Also, this story was most likely after the time of David. And when I read this chapter for the first time, or as I was studying for this, it, it really reminded me of the book of Psalms. This, this chapter is really like a psalm, a psalm of David. If you're, if you're familiar with those psalms, David pours his heart out to God when he's in distress. And he's saying, God, God, why are you letting me go through this? And he's talking about his enemies and his distress and his difficulties and worshiping God. And that's exactly what we have going on in this passage. It would have been a great reminder for the Jewish people to run back to God, to keep God the focus of their worship. Maybe you're going through a trial right now. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Or you've fallen out of your relationship with God. Maybe your relationship with God isn't what it should be. But I will promise you this evening, you can be restored. You can be restored to fellowship with God and regain perspective on life through the grace of God. 
restored by grace. It's very interesting. This is the second chapter of this very small book. Okay? Four chapters in this book. This is the second chapter. And this is the first time that Jonah actually speaks. Jonah chapter number two. Jonah never said a word in Jonah chapter one that was recorded to us. His first words to God weren't until he was in the fish's belly. Okay? The first time that Jonah spoke to God was after the fish had swallowed him up. And the crazy part is, when he was on the ship, in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 6, the mariners asked him to call out to his God. They said, Jonah, call out to your God. We're, we're, we're going to die. We need help. And he never did. He never did. We look here, Jonah chapter number 2, verse number 1, and Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. They asked him to do it, to call into thy God, in verse number 6 of chapter number 1, and he finally got around to it. Finally got around to it. We're going to see tonight that God has a very particular way of doing things. We're going to see our three points this evening, God's vision, our return, and thirdly this evening, God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. Let's look at number one tonight, God's vision. God's vision for our lives. Now, now God's vision for our lives individually might, might look a little bit different. Okay, God has a task for you that's different than, from mine. Okay, Me and my family are going to Houston. You're here in Fernley. Okay? God has made us all special. God has made us unique, different. But... All of us do have the same end goal. God has the same end goal for all of us, and that is to glorify God. That is man's purpose. That is God's purpose for our lives, no matter what we do, no matter what our career, no matter what our path in life, is that we glorify God. Now that phrase, glorify God, is used, is used quite a bit within Christianity. We throw it around a lot. We need to glorify God. We're, our lives should be glorifying, all of these different things. And I think sometimes that phrase gets thrown around and we don't really understand what it means. Literally, to, as simple as I can say it, to glorify God means to point others to God by the way that we live. Okay, that, That's really the basic definition of what it, what it means to glorify God to point other people to God by the way that we live. Okay? The way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you conduct yourself should reflect who God is. That's what it means to glorify God. And that's God's vision for us. Jesus is the goal for all of our lives that we be formed into his image. This is the vision that he wants for everyone. Now, now, this message isn't per se a message on glorifying God, but we have to understand God's vision for our lives. Okay, And it's important to note why God brought the storm in chapter number one that we looked at this morning. It's important to know that why he brought that was to push 
Jonah to a point to mold him, to break him, so that he would glorify God with his life. That's why the storm was brought into Jonah's life. That's why we need to keep perspective, okay? We need to keep perspective on this story. And whenever you read the Bible, just keep like a bird's eye view. Sometimes we just get down into the weeds and we get into the nitty gritty and we need to understand, like we need to go verse by verse and we need to understand what things mean and how the Bible's laid out. But sometimes we get so deep into it, we don't understand the big picture. So stop for a moment when you read the Bible and get that bird's eye view and see what is God doing? What is God's overall overarching principle that he's trying to teach me here? And here, his vision for Jonah is his vision for us, that we be consumed by his grace so that we can glorify him. As you progress through life, start to see the puzzle that God is forming. Everything that he allows into our life is there for a reason. Understand what God is trying to do in your life. The difficulties that you go through. The struggles that you go through. Your day-to-day activities. God has a vision for your life. Point number two. Our return. Our return. Okay? So obviously this chapter, chapter number two, is a prayer. Like I said, it's very similar to many of the Psalms. Um, I think the Jews would have relate would have related to this chapter very well. They would have understood the, the picture of being captive. The, this picture that Jonah paints here of being just completely encompassed and engulfed and completely over his head. This captivity, they would have related to it very well. That their lives are completely out of control. They, he, he, Jonah had no control over this situation. Let's, let's jump through this text really quick, and we're going to point out a few things. We're not going to exhaust this text. There's a lot here in this chapter. I want to get to the point, but we're going to run through some of these verses and see kind of what uh, Jonah is praying to God here. Verse number two. Verse number two. And, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction, unto the Lord. He cries to God. He cries out to God because of his affliction. That's a very strong word. Affliction. His his agony. This pain that he was in. Just imagine what he was going through. He was in the belly of a fish. It's pretty gross. <laughs> that, that sounds like affliction to me. It sounds like something I do not want to go through. It sounds like something that none of us have ever experienced. We'll get to more on that at the end. Verse number three. For thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Jonah recognizes here, it's interesting, Jonah recognizes that God cast him into the deep, not the mariners. Okay. So in chapter number one, who threw Jonah overboard? What was the mariners? But Jonah realizes here, he says, For thou hadst cast me into the deep. 
he realized God is in control. God is the one that was pushing him to that breaking point, that point of him him needing to, to let go. God's the one that cast him into the deep. He was literally in this point that he was completely over his head. He had no control. Verse number four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. In chapter number one, before the mariners actually did throw him overboard, he begged them to do that. He begged him. He said, hey, cast me out. Cast me overboard. And they wouldn't do it. They tried to save the ship. They tried to do, do it in their own efforts, as we saw. But then, here in verse number four, he said, then I, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Something that he tried to do himself in chapter number one, where he tried to cast himself, where he left God's presence, and now he's saying, I am cast out of thy sight. Be careful what you ask for, because it might come true. And Jonah here quickly realizes, this is not what I want. I begged to leave the presence of God. I did leave God's presence. I begged to be cast overboard, and then it finally happened, and I realized, this is not what I wanted. Be careful what you ask for. Verse number five, the waters compass me about even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. He was completely and utterly surrounded and entangled by God's wrath. He was completely surrounded. He couldn't escape this, this, this wrath that was being poured out on him. He couldn't escape it. And then in verse number six, we see that he hit rock bottom. Literally, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. He felt, he literally is saying here, I feel the weight of the world. There is no escape. Have you ever felt like that? Where you feel like there is no escape from this. This pain that I'm going through, no one has experienced this. We feel like that sometimes. This is what he's saying. Her bars were about me forever. I'm I'm in prison. This, this, This prison that I'm in, I can't escape. He hit rock bottom. That was Jonah's distress. Pretty pretty terrible place. Pretty fearful place. What about our distress? Oftentimes, our vision for our lives and God's vision for our lives don't line up. Hence why God brings the storms into our life. Hence why God brings the difficulties into our life. And then... Because of that, there is distress in our lives. There is difficulty. It's uncomfortable. So we think about this, okay? Jonah, he's in distress, right? 
He, 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 got, he got thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by this fish. He feels like he's at the bottom. And what does he do immediately? What does he do? He cries out to his God. That's awesome. Is running to God in prayer your response when affliction or hard times come? Is that your response? It's always easier when we run to God as quickly as possible. Some people might argue here that that, um, the only reason that Jonah actually repented of his sin here was was because he got caught. Okay, some people might say that the only reason that he is finally confessing here was God finally caught him. He was swallowed by a fish. He had no choice. Okay, possibly. But that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is that he actually did run back to God. The point is that he did get right with God. That's always God's goal. Okay, no matter how he gets you around to that point, that's his goal. And he'll do whatever he needs to do to get us to that breaking point. But Jonah here... He's at this breaking point. He hit rock bottom. A return to God often happens when we do hit rock bottom. God often brings us to that point for that reason. Storms and trials are very difficult. Don't let somebody tell you otherwise. Don't let somebody tell you to do it. I'll just suck it up. No, it's difficult. I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. We all go through hard times. God takes us to, to places in our lives that we cannot handle. Why? So that we rely on him. Amen. This is why God brings us to this point. And they are difficult. But what you do when that distress comes will greatly impact how you turn out on the other side. It's okay to cry out to God and say, God, I hit rock bottom. Why are you doing this to me? There's nothing wrong with that. Jonah does it. David did it hundreds of times in the Psalms. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God in pain. There's nothing wrong with that. Not only is there distress in our prayers, but there is also hope. There's hope because we serve a great God. Our distress and then our hope. Verse number six, this is great. Verse number six, when he hit rock bottom, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. God brought him up. He was in distress. He was in pain. He was in agony. Yet God brought him up. God lifted him up. Reminds me of another verse in Psalm chapter 40, verse number 2. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. 
when Jonah's inner self, the core of who he was, when that fainted, when that gave up, he hit rock bottom, and what did he do? Verse number seven. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. This is how we should be. Confessing sin, if it's been committed, and remembering our God remembering what he's done for us, remembering how great he is, remembering all of the great things he's done for us. This should be a regular thing with us where we stop and we remember our God. Looking to the place where God dwells. So what it says in verse number seven, my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. Look to the place where God dwells. We were captivated by sin and destruction, but we need to look to the cross. We need to look to where where God brought us from. You know, the the beauty of, of what we have that Jonah didn't have, the beauty of what we had that the Old Testament saints didn't have, you know what that is? When we, we get to look to where God dwells, where is that? Right here. This is where God dwells if you're saved. The temple of the Holy Ghost is within you. Our lives become this temple of God when we get saved. So we have hope of being in God's presence when we are free from sin. We have this hope that we get to be in the presence of God that we get to look to God where he is. We see God's vision for all of us to glorify God. Our return takes a process of us seeing our distress and realizing I need God and confessing that and seeing our hope in God. And thirdly this evening, God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. What does God actually want to make out of us? As I mentioned this morning, Jonah is a type of Christ. And because of that, I think it's, it's pretty um, appropriate, since we're looking at a prayer of Jonah, let's go and look at a prayer of Jesus and compare the two. If you want to, just keep your place here in Jonah, but you can go over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Jonah is this type of Christ, and we can draw from the prayers of Jesus, the actual prayers of Jesus to his heavenly Father. Luke 22, we're going to look at a few verses here. Luke 22, verse number 42. Luke 22, 42. Jesus is praying, and he says, saying, Father... If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood 
falling down to the ground. What a prayer. What a prayer. Think about that. Have you ever prayed something like that? If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Begging God to take away this difficulty. Begging God to take it away. Remember, why did God bring the trial into our life into the first place? Okay, God brings trials into our lives to mold us to be more like Him. And running to Him in prayer is like gaining strength, as it says here. He prayed, and there appeared an angel strengthening Him. When we run to God in prayer, it strengthens us. And realizing why God brings trials into our lives should be in a very should be a very encouraging thought, okay? For this reason. Because if God took away every trial that we asked him to, then Christ would have never died for you. Think about that. So Jesus prayed. If thou be willing, take this cup from me. What was he saying? He was getting ready to die on the cross. And he said, he said, God, take it away. If I don't have to, don't let me die. This is what Jesus is praying. Take it away. I don't want to have to go through this if I don't have to. And if God took every trial, every difficulty away because we asked him to, none of us would be here tonight. Drawing from this prayer of Jesus, we have great hope. We have great hope that the trials that he allows into our life brings life on the other side. Because of what Christ went through, we have eternal hope. Because Jesus accepted the will of, of the Father, all of humanity now has hope in access to power to overcome their fear and their sin. That is so awesome. That is so great to think about. This is the masterpiece that God wants to make for us to be more like him. Now, it is important to note, while Christ never had to return to fellowship with God because of sin, he never sinned, he was perfect, he did have moments of struggle. He did have moments of struggle. Obviously, here he cries out to God. He's crying out in agony and pain. He's sweating drops of blood. And this should give us hope. Because we know that he was tempted in all points like as we are. Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, went through everything that we go through. He understands what you go through. He understands the burdens, the pain, the difficulty that we go through on a daily basis. Salvation helps us return to fellowship with God. It helps us return to Him. It gives us the power to do so. You realize that salvation gives us the power. We mentioned this last Sunday morning, that when we get saved, what does the gospel give us? It gives us access to resurrection power. That's amazing that we have access 
to the power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that you have to get through your everyday problems. When we look at it that way, our problems don't seem so bad. It gets us back on track for our simple but important task that we looked at this morning. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Salvation does that. Salvation gets us back on track. The gospel refocuses our mind on our task, refocuses us on God's vision for our life. The gospel does that. What does Jonah say at the end of verse number 9? After he said, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have out. I will return to my task. Salvation is of the Lord. The gospel reorientates our life. We read this prayer. As, well, at least I was reading this prayer and going through this, going through this church, and then I get to verse number 8, and I feel like verse number 8 just kind of felt out of place. You go into this, you know, like Jonah's crying out to God, I completely engulfed, and the, the, the waters compassed me about, all of these things I'm going through, my soul faints within me. And then verse number 8, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I thought, well, that, that seems a little out of place for this. Like, what does that mean? Like, why would he say that there? Observing lying vanities. The mariners and Nineveh following after gods in emptiness. The Jewish people and thinking God was only for them. All of it points to the fact that we forfeit God's mercy and grace that is freely given to us when we focus on vain, on, on, on vain thoughts, when we focus on ourselves, observing lying vanities, when I focus on myself, when it's all about me, when I focus on vain or emptiness. That's what that means. It's like the people of Nineveh, worshiping false gods. When the Jewish people focusing that, you know, it's all about us. God doesn't care about anybody else. That is empty and pointless. And what does it say? They forsake their own mercy. Jonah is saying here that he won't focus on the emptiness of being selfish and religious, but he will worship. Such an amazing, an amazing statement. What does he say in verse number 8? They that observe lying vanities, they forsake their own mercy. They forsake this relationship with God. But what does he say? But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. What does that mean? I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to praise you. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be filled up with this empty religion, this thing that doesn't give me any hope, this thing that, that is a bunch of this list of do's and don'ts. I'm going to worship you, God. This idea here 
this the verse number nine, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. It reminded me of Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Bringing a sacrifice to, of, of praise to God. When we worship God, when we praise God, it's a sacrifice to him. It's a sacrifice that we offer to God. And Jonah is saying here, not all, any of the religion in this world, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's empty, it's vain, it's useless. But I am going to offer True worship and praise to God. The answer to returning back to our task is pretty simple. Worship. That's what verse number nine teaches us. The answer to returning back to our task is to worship. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Who was Jonah? He was a prophet of God. He had a very important task. I will pay that that I have vowed. He vowed to serve God, to, to live for God, to preach the gospel. And he's saying, you know what? I am going to worship you, God and then get back to my task. I'm going to pay that that I have vowed. I will return to my task. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he, after, after all of this, this life of religion, this life of emptiness, why would he return? He's saying, I'm going to worship. I'm going to return to my task. Why? The end of verse number nine. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. He says, I will point others to satisfy the emptiness. I'm going to point others to the answer, to the hope. It's not about me. It's not in my strength. I don't matter. God matters. So I'm going to start with worship and then I'm going to get back to what he wants me to do. And that is to point people to God. It's interesting to note that Jonah never responded to God in chapter number one. He never responded to God in chapter number one. And God never responds to him in chapter number two. I thought that was interesting. That has anything to do with the message. but <laughs> He doesn't respond to God when God tells him to do something and then when he pours out his heart to God, God, God doesn't say anything. Verse number 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish. He didn't speak to Jonah. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. God speaks to the fish and it vomits him out on dry land. Think about that. It's pretty gross. 
Think about this, okay? Tells a fish to spit them out on dry land, okay? So what what dry land is around the ocean? Okay, it's called a beach, okay? Y'all don't know about that here, okay? <laughs> All right? It's called a beach, okay? What's on a beach? Lots and lots of sand. Okay, sometimes we, we skip this and we don't think about this and it's kind of gross, but I'm going to go there, okay? So think about this really quick. This, this dude, this guy, is inside of a fish. Fish stink just anyways, okay? But have you ever been inside of a fish? <laughs> it's probably really bad, okay? So he, he, gets, he gets spit out. This, it vomits him out. Okay, vomit's nasty, okay? It's gross. It's like, okay. So he vomits him out on dry land. So think about that. He's completely soaked, he's wet, he's nasty, and he's rolling around in the sand. That would just, that would hurt. But think about this, it's not just, it's not just how gross it is. Think about that physically, what that would do to you. He's inside the belly of a fish, the stomach acids, the things that he has to go through. It's pretty graphic, but there's a good truth here. I think for the point for us is this. When we make a mistake, there's going to be consequences. And perhaps some pretty gross stuff that we have to deal with. Some pretty gross stuff that we have to deal with. Why? Because we messed up. Because we made some stupid decisions. God is faithful. God is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's going to be scars. There's going to be things that we have to deal with. There's going to be vomit to clean up. relationships to to restore. There's going to be things that we have to fix because we were not very smart. Things to put back in order. When you repent, don't get the idea that God just flips a switch and your life is perfect. You maintain those things. You maintain those scars. So it reminds us not to make the same mistakes again. God's masterpiece. Think about that. A masterpiece with scars. A masterpiece with blemishes. With mistakes. Not because the master is imperfect but because we taint it with our missteps God's masterpiece is to mold us to become like him to make us to push us to a point a breaking point so God's grace can consume us to get us back to a point it's not always pretty it's not always comfortable it's not easy 
there's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be distress that we go through. But when we get out on the other side, we're so much better for it. Why? Because God has made a masterpiece. It might not look how you think it should look, but when you allow God to work on your life, it truly is a masterpiece. As we wrap it up, remember that God has a vision for you to be more like Him. And the awesome thing about God, He's not going to stop at anything. He's not, nothing is going to stop God from seeing Him fulfill that vision in your life. There might be storms, there might be difficulties, there might be distress in your life, you might feel that you're in over your head, but there is hope in the grace of God. When we misstep, when we make mistakes, when we make a bad choice, a bad decision, we don't deserve a second chance. But aren't you thankful you serve a God that freely bestows his grace and forms a masterpiece in our lives that brings him glory. Think about that. That's pretty cool. God's vision for your life is him bestowing his grace on you so that you get a second chance, a third chance, multiple chances because of God's grace. So my challenge to you is very simple. Run back to God in prayer and have a heart that gives a sacrifice of praise. That's how we return. We run to him in prayer and we say, God, please forgive me. I want to worship you and return to the task that you have given me to return to the vision that you have for me, which means I'm just going to do what you want. Amen. Let's pray.